Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gen J Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Heffington, and this show is brought to you by your friends at Generation Joshua. As we travel around the country working with young leaders, we meet all sorts of amazing people who are working to change their corner of the world for the better. If you've ever been to one of our iGovern camps, you've probably heard from some of these people. But we thought that it would be awesome if we could sit down for some in-depth conversations and get their stories on the record so that we could share them with the greater Gen J community. This podcast is the culmination of that process, and we think that you're going to find these conversations encouraging and inspiring. So go ahead, pop in your headphones, connect to your Bluetooth speaker, whatever you got to do, and let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gen J Podcast. I am here getting ready to have a conversation with Jeremiah Lorig, Generation Joshua's Deputy Director. Some backstory about Jeremiah. He travels America teaching young people the principles and practice of conservative politics, and he works on political campaigns. These pursuits have been his passion and calling for over a decade. Jeremiah has worked with Senator Wayne Allard of Colorado, the National Association of Evangelicals, the Arlington Group, HSLDA, and with over 100 political campaigns. For the last decade, he has coordinated Generation Joshua's campaign deployments, our student action teams involving thousands of volunteers in scores of competitive races nationwide. He has also administered three PACs. In 2011 and 2012, he represented the Young Republican National Federation in the International Young Democrat Union, a pro-democracy alliance for greater freedom and small government as a delegate to the London and Sydney meetings. That's some cool travel right there. He also leads historic and cultural tours of Europe, teaching about the roots of American liberty. When he is not busy doing all these things, Jeremiah likes to read and travel. He alternates between fiction and nonfiction, I'm told, to maintain a balanced reading schedule. So without further ado, Jeremiah Lorig, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here today. It's good to be talking with you. Um, I love how uh, that last part of the intro, uh, that the info I got for that was that you alternate between fiction and nonfiction. So I, one, I like that. But two, what are you reading these days? I just got to know. Oh, well, so I I guess I just finished reading one of J.R.R. Tolkien's lesser known fairy tales. Uh, The the one I read uh, and finished last night was called uh, Smith of Wooten Major. And it's a great little fairy tale. Really love that. And then I'm also uh, in the middle of Hayek's uh, Road to Serfdom. So uh, that one's uh, uh, a bit more heady. But uh, and definitely on the less fairy tale end of things. All right. Well, I I have to say that this I don't know if you planned it this way, but that's that's both sides of that coin are, are seem like pretty significant pieces of literature. You know, your your Tolkien fairy tale is hardly a a paperback novel. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and this one in particular was uh, one that he wrote at the very end of his life so it was one of the last things that he wrote and it's a very short little fairy tale but he put so much thought into it that it just oozes with meaning and uh uh, significance that comes through uh for people who are um really into the tolkien world and mindset that's awesome um 
I, I will get to the other questions, but final question on that. Does it have, is it one of those like middle earth peripheral stories or is it completely something else? It's a different world. It's a, it's a, it's more of a fairy story than a okay. traditional Middle Earth story. So there's there's the Fae and the village people and a big party with lots of food. He's really big on on um, highlighting those common everyday experiences like eating good food. I love it. That's one of the reasons I've always loved Tolkien is his descriptions of food and drinks and all this is super good. Um Another series that kind of did that super well was the Redwall series. Did you ever read any of those? I did. I read, well, actually, I think I only read one book of theirs, but their their um, adventure side was more what I paid attention to. Yes. They, they, they were pretty epic. Yes. Um, well, awesome. When I was just going through, you know, kind of just giving people a context for what, who you are and what you do with Gen J and beyond, there was a lot of politics in there. Um, not a surprise for anyone listening who knows Jeremiah, um, but what, what a lot of people might not know and what I'd love to talk a little bit about is going way back, what started you in the direction of politics? How did you get, you know, how did you begin on this journey? Oh, wow. Yeah. Thinking way back, how, what was the first, I guess, political thoughts of little Jeremiah's mind? I, I was more into the politics of Narnia when I was a kid, so I definitely wasn't playing, paying close attention to what was going on in the national and international realm very much. But when I was a teenager, uh, there was a very controversial president uh, who had a lot of really um, scandalous um, problems in his administration. His, his name was Bill Clinton. And... When he was in the news every single day for scandal, I, I just remember that feeling of frustration that our country was being led by somebody who was such a bad example for somebody like me. And, you know, I, I had, a, a, I guess, a bit of self-awareness of me just being a, a, a young man and, you know, feeling like we should have better leaders. And mm-hmm. so I was complaining about it like you know people are are want to do when they don't like the way things are going in their country and I just found myself complaining 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 and I felt a very real conviction from God that that challenged me with the thought Jeremiah what are you going to do about it you're um, com- you're complaining a lot, but what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And when I began to think about that, I thought, you know, maybe I should think about what I can do. What can I do? And so basically everything that I've accomplished in my um, in the political realm and in, in my life in, in regards to politics, I can give full credit to President Clinton because <laughs> he got me started down this path. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Uh, that's, that's a fresh piece of info. Um, I I wonder, I don't suppose that President Clinton is aware of that yet, but if he listens to this podcast, he will know. He'll know that he's, um, both the, the villain and the hero of my little story. Wow. That's fascinating. Um, what, uh, do you, do you remember, or do you mind sharing 
what you did based on that, based on that conviction? Like, like what, what, you know, where did you go from kind of realizing, okay, I need to get involved to like, what was that first? What did that look like to begin with? Yeah. So I had no idea what that should look like. I, I, I knew I wanted to do something, but I had no idea what. I had never been involved in any sort of political activity before. So um, I thought, well, I'm, I'm at a place where I need to start thinking about the future and, and college and, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And so one of the things I decided to do was look at um, studying government. And so I ended okay. up going to a small... Um, liberal arts, brand new liberal arts school that had just been founded called Patrick Henry College in Northern Virginia uh, to study government. I, I knew I wanted to go there because I wanted to study government. And I figured if I was close to Washington, D.C., that would have opportunities uh, for me to do that. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it did. That that seems that that seems to make sense. It also seems uh, like a bit of a, you know, that I don't, I don't know if you say it's, it's a risk or at least definitely an adventure to go to like a, a, you said it was a new college at the time that Patrick Henry was just kind of getting ramped up. And then now I know this, but everybody else might not, you know, Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia is not where you grew up, right? No, oh, no, no. I grew up, uh, what, 2000 miles away in the, in the, um, Great Plains and, uh, right nestled into the mountains of Colorado in Colorado Springs. That's where I was born. That's where I grew up. That was where I had lived my whole life. And it was uh, definitely uh, a transition to go to the East Coast and not just anywhere on the East Coast, Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C., kind of the epicenter of a whole world that I had never experienced before. I mean, I was more comfortable on uh, on a horseback uh, and with a cattle brand in my hand than I was in any sort of DC uh, environment. It was totally new for for um, uh, for for Jeremiah, who was uh, definitely the the jeans and a t-shirt kid, not suit and tie kid. Wow, that's that's fascinating. I I have to say I love the I love the image of you on on your horseback waving a cattle brand. So like I think. I think I think I want to see that. I think I want to see that portrayed in some type of art or something. Um, we can we can remake the. Do you know the 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 famous artist with the with the cowboy the western statues Remington? like the bronze. I think yeah. I think it's the Remington yeah. statues. I think we need a Jeremiah Lorig Remington statue with you on your horseback with your cattle brand. I think Awkward teenage version of Jeremiah on a horse with a cattle brand flailing in but, the air sounds kind of terrifying to me. I mean, I think all of us would would say that about our teenage years on some level. Um, I I have a huge place in my heart for teenagers, and I think I, I also feel that some of the teenagers we work with with Generation Joshua are cooler than I was as a teenager. Um, I know that's the case for me. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we can we can compliment them while still critiquing ourselves as teenagers. Um, with that transition, you know, as you came out to the East Coast, you know, obviously you're, you're kind of indicating that it was it was definitely a shift. Um, what what was that like? Like, did you did you get there and was there was there culture shock? Was there when you started hanging out around D.C. and politics? Were you thinking, oh, this is what I was made for? Or were you thinking, you know, this is uh, this is a, a, a hive of scum and villainy to incorporate a Star Wars reference? Yeah, I, so it, it was a little bit of both and also not like the, either of them at all. It, in the sense that 
I didn't know what to expect. I had no idea what it was like. I bought my first suit uh, right before coming to to DC. I uh, put that on. I went went to college, um, did, did a little bit. What I, I think probably the first real political event that stuck in my head was a group of people uh, who I knew from the school were asked to go and volunteer with uh, the president's um, campaign. He was running for re-election. It was President Bush. And uh, we were asked to go into D.C. and and volunteer at the campaign at some events. And I remember going in, you know, just being a being a volunteer. And I discovered that I was I was a friendly, gregarious person. I I could make uh, make an impression. I could get people where they needed to go. I, uh, you know, give I was good at following directions. And I at one event uh, uh, I had done a couple. And so I was kind of known by the campaign. And this was a very high end event. And. And uh, our job was to identify the um, most important people at this party. Okay. And we were supposed to identify them by their special name tags that they had. And so we would identify them and we would funnel them into a different location where they would get an opportunity to meet with the president oh. himself. It's like a VIP situation. A VIP reception situation, okay. yeah. So our job was to get them over there, and uh, after a, uh, a little bit of doing that, the, the, um, they, they didn't need me identifying people as much anymore, and uh, the, the head of the volunteers came over and said, can I get you to, to uh, help me out with something else? And so she pulled me into the room where all those people I had identified were now lined up, and they, they were lined up in front of a curtain getting ready to meet the president and get their photo taken that that was oh, wow. that was what they were there to do so i was there to manage the line and while i was there i saw personalities that were big names at the time like carl rove and you know people like that oh wow and i was like oh wow this is like so cool it's the closest i've ever been to anybody important you know seeing carl rove somebody i seen in the newspaper who just walked by and uh there was one grouchy dude who kept walking by and he came up and uh, every, every few minutes and he'd be like, keep them moving, keep them moving. <laughs> Don't let the line stop. And I'm like, I'm doing my best. And they're rich people. I'm just, you know, hurting them like cattle. <laughs> That's your Western skills. Yeah. Yeah. My, 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 yeah. my <laughs> little bit of cowboy experience yeah. came out right there. Heard them, heard them, them, uh, donors. And I, that's what I was doing. And, uh, you know, he kept coming by and just kind of like really gruffly, like, Get, keep them moving, keep them moving. I'm like, I am, I am. And then, uh, you know, after that happened like four or five times, he came up and looked at me like this with this very glowering look. And he's like, good job. Get in oh, line. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, me? In line? To meet the president? And he's like get in line i'm like yes sir and so i hopped in uh, at the back of the line and i was uh, one of the very last people in line i was you know because i was the the random volunteer and uh, i got my picture taken with pre the president i got to shake his hand talk with him for a second and uh you know that that transition right there really um showed me that you know people are people like i i met the president yeah. of the united states and he was a he was a dude you know he was a, he was yeah. a guy and he he just was friendly you know it, you know a moment of connection and engagement and you know of course i was a little um starstruck and shell-shocked i didn't really know what to say i was like thank sure. you for your service really stilted you know i remember sure, sure, i'm sure. still freshman in in, in college so you know it, it it is a it is a real transition 
to go from one life to the other. But one thing that I think is really important to remember is that people are people. And whether mm-hmm. whether they're a, a um, farrier who puts horseshoes on, on the, the, you know, your, your pony or yeah. the president of the United States, they deserve respect. They, they deserve uh, to, to be treated like a person. And you can have that moment of human connection that really matters. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so let's, let's keep continuing on in, in your, your progression here. Cause you, you came from Colorado, you went to Patrick Henry college, you started getting involved with politics and campaigns and stuff. At what point did you cross paths with the organization that you're now the deputy director of generation Joshua? That so generation Joshua had just been founded and I was still a student in college and they, um, they needed volunteers, and so they put out a call to, to some of us uh, students at Patrick Henry. They, they um, apparently they knew that I had been involved in some campaigns before, because uh, I had been doing that for the last couple of years uh, as a student in college. And they said, "We want you to help run one of our student action teams." And so I ended up um, going and serving as a volunteer leader, a uh, college leader on one of the student action teams in Iowa. Okay. And that was, um, that was a huge, hugely formative, uh, formative experience in my life because uh, it showed me that I, I could do something like that. I had been a, a campaigner. I had knocked on you know hundreds and hundreds of doors. I had made yep. the phone calls, uh, but now I was being asked to step up and organize and lead, and so uh, that that really had an impact on me. But it wasn't until later that I really became active in Generation Joshua. Uh, I, I had graduated from college. I started working for the Homeschool Legal Defense Association as an, a lobbyist on Capitol Hill. Okay. And I was working there, working on education policy and, and advancing homeschool freedom in the capital, uh, which is something that that's, that's part of my backstory as well. I was homeschooled because of dyslexia. But oh, wow. I, go, I go in, I'm working in Capitol Hill, working with members of Congress, and uh, uh, they needed, Generation Joshua needed somebody to help them develop a simulation, a Congress simulation that students could learn through. through. Oh, wow. And so they asked me, they were like, hey, could you come help us develop this thing? We're going to do an event in New Mexico in a few months. Could you develop this program and run it for us? And I, that sounded fun. So I, I did it. And basically from that point on, I've always been a hop, skip and a jump away from Generation Joshua, staying involved, uh, being involved in the educational development and training. And I love it. That's fantastic. And and what is that program still around today? What 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 was that project? That, so that was a Congress simulation. We now call it um, that, that that program I Advocate, uh, which was um, because we wanted to teach people how to advocate for their ideas, and sure. we use the congressional setting to teach that. And it's morphed and grown, and now um, many people uh, would recognize some of the vestiges of it in our iGovern program, because our okay. iGovern Congress is based on the iAdvocate program, which is uh, what I developed all those years ago. Wow. So it all started all started back then with, with a little side project. Definitely was, a side project. It was, it was it was not your it was not your full time lobbying job, but somebody needs some help and you jumped in. Yep, yep. That's that's interesting how those things can can lead to other things. That seems um, to be the the story of life as little things uh, develop and when when you take advantage of the moment and 
uh, jump at it. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, and and when you're willing to to show up and and do you know do a good job with what you're interested at the moment. You know that that happened. I see that in your story with meeting the president. Also see that in your story with the with the whole I advocate thing. That's really neat. Um, so. You know, now that you've been involved with Generation Joshua, you're no longer just, you know, sneaking in to do some projects on the side and, and develop a program here and there. You're doing a lot of that stuff. You're doing, you know, traveling around the country, teaching, speaking. Um, and in fact, one of the things, you know, everyone knows that most people listening to this podcast, if you're listening when it comes out, we are still, we're here in Northern Virginia. We're still under significant coronavirus lockdown. And so, you know, typically, uh, for both myself and Jeremiah, our spring would look a lot different. We'd be going around the country to do programs like he just talked about. I advocate, I negotiate other of these intensives. Um, but that's changed in the past few weeks. We, you know, we've had events cancel and, and move. So Jeremiah, what has this looked like, you know, this mission of, of, of teaching and equipping young people looks like for you during the lockdown? Yeah, with with lockdown, everything's changed. I think the biggest thing that's um, destroyed my soul is canceling all my travel plans. I love to travel. <laughs> I love spending time with the students. I love I love doing those simulations. Um, so what you know, for the first few weeks, it was kind of like huge amounts of uncertainty, and we didn't know is this going to be a couple weeks? Is this going to be longer? What's going to be the impact? Yeah. So we didn't really have a lot going on, and then you know, it seemed like everything just kind of clicked. We started talking about the podcast. We started talking about doing the online um, classes that we've done in partnership with other organizations. We've started developing some new things, uh, which has um, been hugely rewarding. I, I, I think, you know, obviously the thing I'm most passionate about is the the, the intensives and the camps and, you know, those, those moments where we can connect with students in a real um, personal way. Sure. But when you don't have that opportunity, you, you look for others and seeing the opportunities that have come up through technology and being able to, to put things out in new formats has been uh, a huge endeavor, a huge thing that we've been able to uh, tackle and, and work on uh, together on, on the team. And I'm really excited to see how uh, they've already succeeded and uh, how they grow as well and, and develop into uh, long-term projects. Yeah, I've personally, I've been seeing some of these things that we've jumped into as like, as like little seeds where it's like, you know, we, we try to do things that are, that are valuable and helpful and, and serving people right now. Um, hopefully, you know, stuff that, that'll be more entertaining than just sitting on their, you know, sitting on their couch for another afternoon or, or go not going to another party or something. Um, but then it's also going to be really interesting to see the things that start here during lockdown for, for both Gen J and everybody that kind of shift and become the new normal that we were kind of just forced into or, or we took advantage of because of the weird time. And then it becomes something that's like a valuable part of our, our, our normal that we want to keep, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's kind of like, you know, the story of life, you take advantage of the opportunities in front of you and you try to do your best 
as you can with them. And you never know. You never know. Maybe some of these things are going to grow and, and uh, develop into major Generation Joshua initiatives that will last for decades. Or maybe God's got another plan that will uh, bring, lead us another direction. But what I'm excited about, regardless, is the fact that we are continuing with our mission and continuing to in- engage the world around us with uh, the, the, the principles that we th- think are so important. Absolutely. Um, on that note, one of the things that you just, you know, you just wrapped up with the with one of the new programs we've been offering was your Roots of Liberty class in partnership. We did that in partnership with our good friends at the HSLDA Online Academy. And it was four weeks. And can you just kind of recap, like, don't don't give us the whole class again, because that would take four hours. But um, I was there for a lot of it and thought it was fantastic. So for the people listening who maybe weren't part of that class, can you just kind of recap 30,000 foot overview of what that was? Yeah. So I teach a class called I Citizen Live with the HSLD Online Academy. It's a full semester class uh, that I teach there. And I love doing that. Um, but what, what the idea was, was to work with them on a new idea, which was to take something that we already do in our camp simulations and yep. bring it over to an online platform. And so uh, what I decided to do is tackle the idea of where did the founders get their ideas? If Philadelphia is kind of the the foundation of the liberty that we have today, where did the founders at Philadelphia have their roots? And so I called the class the Roots of Liberty. And what I did is I I looked back at history and I said, okay, uh, I'm going to look at four cities that impacted the founders in their ideas. And so I, okay. I took the ideas of Moses and, and, and Christ, Jesus, in, from Jerusalem. I took Pericles and um, Solon and Aristotle from Athens. We did Cicero and Caesar Augustus from Rome. And then um, a, a hodgepodge of ideas that come from London in, uh, that, that culminated in kind of the right, the idea of individual rights, like the Magna Carta and, yeah. you know, uh, the, the English Bill of Rights, those, those institutions. And so we examined those, what they were and uh, where they uh, developed and how those ideas impacted the founders. And so when the founders are in Philadelphia, they weren't just making stuff up. They were really smart mm. people who were educated. They had done their research. They, had, they knew their homework. And so uh, we wanted to, to see what those ideas were and how they incorporated them into the founding of our country. That's amazing. Yeah, I um, highly encourage people to to uh, check out Jeremiah's classes like that. I Citizen Live, I know we'll have signups opening for the fall. Who knows? Roots of Liberty might even come back around. Um, but but is it true that if people come to iGovern this year, they can, they have a chance to catch Roots of Liberty live and in person? Yes, yes. That's where it was originally built for. That's, that's what it's entirely based around. It's a lively discussion-based class. And I bring some artifacts to pass around so that you can hold a piece of history uh, so, and, and kind of make it come alive a little bit more. I saw a few of those on your, on your uh, Zoom screen, but I bet that'd be pretty cool to hold them in person as well and, and get to see what, what trinkets and, and weapons and everything else have you've accumulated over the years. Um, I want to, I want to ask you, uh, something that's related, but kind of the next step, 
you talk about the roots of liberty, the ideas of our founders, and I love how I think that sometimes in history it gets glossed over. Like, you know, we know Alexander Hamilton was the the bomb that we see in the musical, and, you know, every, everybody loves <laughs> these people. And, and it's right. Like, 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 there's a lot of things to love and admire and celebrate about that group of individuals at, at the time of the revolution. Um but they weren't just like they weren't just like improving at all. Like they like they were they were some things they were sure just reacting and responding to what was going around them. But it wasn't just like pulled out of their hat or pulled out of thin air. It was you know meaningful ideas that had been around for a while, right? Yeah, oh yeah. And that's that's one of the things that I think is so cool about understanding the context of history is not only when, when, when you engage history, first it gives you perspective. It helps you to see that the situations that we're in today, um, humans have survived far worse. And mm. so it helps, it gives you some sense of confidence in that. But it also, uh, when you study history and, and you look at the um, kind of the, the, the places that things have sprung up from, whether it's Alexander Hamilton or, or um, Abraham Lincoln, you, you, you'll engage very complex humans. You'll engage mm-hmm. people like yourself who have um, strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And those strengths and weaknesses come together in a moment to enable this person to do something that will change the course of history. And so what I try to do when when we engage these ideas is to look at both sides, realize that even these great heroes that have done incredible things for the um, development of freedom and the the land that we love so much had flaws. Mm -hmm. And those weaknesses don't stop them from doing great things. And so we can see that in ourselves too. We can say, if God could use them with all their weaknesses... God could also use someone like me. Yeah. And that's what I love about engaging history, making it um, come alive, is, is you see that these are real people taking, uh, taking on life and surviving and thriving and, and doing something that's worthy of remembering. That's, that's powerful. That's really cool. Um, on that note, and this is, I don't know if this, this could be a tricky question, but you know, you're talking about the the principles that we celebrate um, here in the U.S. that our country was founded on, that had their roots in all these other great uh, traditions and civilizations. Um, so, how would you rate? You know, if you were going to assign a, a grade to America today, whether whether you want to call it liberty or constitutionality, or you know, how how well are we living up to those ideals in our present time? Oh, so that's so hard. How would I grade America today? I would give us a a, a, a really enthusiastic B plus. Okay, <laughs> we're we're doing all right. At our best, we are the shining city on a hill that the world looks to and says, "Look at them! They believe in freedom." At our worst, we're not doing so hot. We we've got some problems. We've got some challenges that we uh, need to to overcome. And so I, I, I think that, you know, when you look at the broad context, our trajectory tends to be move towards freedom and then forget a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then we move towards freedom and then we forget a little bit. And so we're, 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 our heart's in the right direction. We're trying really hard. And that's the most we can ask out of uh, people, right, is to try hard. Um, but sometimes we fall short and... 
and, and what I love about America is that we're not defined by our worst moments. Mm-hmm. Our worst moments exist, but uh, what often is definitive about our worst moments is when you look at those times, there are a host of heroes who are standing in the gap saying, this is not where we should be. Yeah. Whether it's the modern day um, heroes who are serving in pro-life pregnancy resource centers to mm-hmm. stand up for uh, each uh, each mom and and the, the baby that she has, or whether it's the, the great abolitionists um, b- before the Civil War who um, sacrificed so much. There's yeah. always people who are standing in the gap in, in our country and they're saying, no, I love America and America is founded on something that's better, and we yeah. can head that direction. I love that. I love that. Um, all right. Well, we. I love. I love how we're diving deep here. And before, I have a few questions that are are not quite as deep for you. But before we go there, let's let's keep it. Let's keep diving for a minute. Um, and I want to talk about. We're talking about politics. We're talking about these ideas. Um, we're talking about ideas that are that are important or ideas that matter. Um, and one of those things that, that we never really shy away from at Generation Joshua is that intersection between faith and politics. You know, we're, we're, we're an organization that, that is, is founded in faith. We're also founded in being engaged citizens and encouraging and equipping teens to understand how their country works, how they can make a difference, and why they should. So can you talk, because this is, you know, this is, there's also the old kind of uh, parable that, you know, just never talk about politics or religion and you'll be okay with people. So we kind of talk about both. Um, Let's, let's, you know, let's discuss that. You know, why, in your opinion, from Jeremiah's perspective, why or why not should faith impact our politics? And, you know, so you can start with that if you want. And then just on the off chance you say it should, um, how should it impact our politics? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the the people who say that you shouldn't talk about politics and religion, they have wisdom behind it, right? What they're saying is, if you want to stay friends with people, avoid controversy. Right. The problem that we have is that that attitude where avoiding controversy is the highest goal, the mm. supreme aim, yeah. is that it's led us to a place where we have forgotten how to talk about politics and religion and anything that's controversial in a civil way. Uh-huh. So what we've developed is we've developed these um, circles where we're only talking to people who agree with us, mm. and we get a lot of affirmation from the people who agree with us, uh, but then we get a lot of angst from the people who disagree with us, and the, the divide gets further, not closer. Yeah. And we, we've forgotten how to have those conversations. So what I would say is we need more. We need more people talking about faith and politics in the right way. And that's the key. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is, is vital is to remember that um, with both politics and faith, there's a heart and a mind. And you can't um, throw one aside for the other. You can't just use statistics and data to convince somebody about um, your faith, uh, you know, those, those principles that you hold dear, or um, to support a policy. Uh, there has to be a good reason for it that matters, not just numbers. There's got to be a heart. 
And okay. so uh, those two things have to go together. And so, um, you know, in, in, in the end, we, we need to learn how to discuss things in a civil and thoughtful way. Is it always going to work? No. Are you always going to have haters? Of course. But that do- just, just because there are people who are like that, that make it difficult, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's not a worthy endeavor to continue to grab onto and pursue. So I do believe that um, our faith should matter in the totality of our lives. If it doesn't, then it's not really your faith. Mm. Faith is something that you believe so much, or your, 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 your religion is something that you believe so much that it impacts everything. Yeah. And for some people, that might be, you know, um, watching the, um, the news every night. Uh, for some people, that might be, um, you know, their, their, their favorite um, musician, whatever, you know, I, I don't, I don't even know that like we're, we're, we're very capable of coming up with things that are all consuming. Yep. What I believe though, is that we can find the greatest fulfillment for that need to, to have something that's all consuming in something that's bigger than ourselves. And so when it comes to our faith and how it impacts society as a whole, that, uh, we, we need to, to take that very seriously. Awesome. Um, on that note, not, you know, not just like keep throwing easy questions at you. Um, but, uh, <laughs> easy, he says, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Joking, of course. Um, but you know, it, how can we, cause I totally agree with you. You know, we, people use the term we're in bubbles, we're in, you know, echo chambers. How can we as individuals and as a nation get better about wrestling through the complex issues and talking about ideas that matter. Cause I think one of the saddest things is to see people just kind of like awkwardly stiffly get along in this kind of like not real community, just kind of a, a like we can, we can keep this from blowing up and, you know, not really know what each other truly thinks, but we can just kind of grin and bear it type thing. So like, how can we get better at, at talking about these ideas that matter? So, and of course, that's the real challenge, right, is is finding ways to actually make the rubber meet the road. We all want to do that kind of thing. How do we do it? Yeah. For me, what I found some success in, and I, I am not, not an expert, is I go out of my way to find opportunities to interact with people who I know I'm going to disagree with. Okay. And I don't make those opportunities political. So I'm, for example, on um, um, some committees and, you know, various opportunities to serve in my, my local community. And some of the people there have very different political worldview uh, than I do. Sure. Yeah. But, but what I do is I start by finding the things that we have in common. And it might be the fact that I love art or I like to travel or, um, you know, what, whatever the thing may be. And you, you, you build some common ground and then you begin to know that person for themselves as a person, not as an enemy, not, not as, you know, you know whatever slap the label on them you want, yep. but as a person. And I found that to be somewhat helpful um, for me. Um, but the the real the reason it's such a complicated question with a complicated answer is each individual and each individual relationship is different. 
And yeah. so you can't one size fits all it, right? Yeah, I, you know, there are some people that they are only political people. And so the only thing they can talk about is socialism and how income inequality is the biggest challenge to um, all of humanity. And right. of course, I can't necessarily agree with all of their um, thoughts on the issue. Yep. <laughs> and that's okay, I guess. But uh, it does it does have um, challenges. And so you're going to have to get to know each person well enough to find a way to talk with them about things that matter. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, I don't know what you would say to this, but I... And again, I, I think it does depend on the person, but I think that for some people, especially the ones who are like adamant about ideologies and they're just kind of always going to talk about it, there's something, there's, there can sometimes, when you do it in the right way, be a dignity and a, and a kind of a respect of, of, of disagreeing with somebody in a, in, a, in a meaningful way, where basically like you're not just going there to, to trash them, you're not just going there to, to win some points. But you're like, I, you know, if this idea is so important to you, then yeah, I'll, I will wrestle this idea with you, even if we come at it from different perspectives. Do you, do you ever find that? Yeah. And, you know, the, the conversations can take on many different shapes and, and forms, but the, the bottom line is you, 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 you go with it. And what, what, I guess one thing that I would give as a piece of advice is try you're uh -huh. never going to succeed if you're tr overthinking everything and you're like, oh, well, what if I do this? Or what if I do this? Or what if I do this? It's better to try yeah. and fail and have that awkward, awkward moment where you're both kind of looking at each other and you're like, oh, I kind of I kind of made a fool of myself, didn't I? And then they can laugh and you can laugh. And, you know, <laughs> sometimes that's the solution to the overall problem. Yeah. But the, the, it's better to try and fail than to never try in the first place. So try to have that that real human com conversation. Try to see them as a real person and, and treat them well. And even if they never listen to what you say, even if they shut you out entirely and will never speak with you again, you've done the right thing in trying. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I think that's can be difficult to apply, but I think it's super important. Um, all right, let, let's let's pivot away from from that that trail for me. I think it was fantastic, and I appreciate you diving deep there. Um, but I want to I want to kind of go into a few things to just kind of help make sure that the the Gen J podcast audience is getting to know you uh, outside of the awesome huge ideas you care about because I that's one of the things I love about you having known you for 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 years now. Um, but let's get to some other things like like very real current items. Like for example, we're still in our lockdown. Uh, I know that Generation Joshua, we've all been working from home. Um, but you know what? I, I don't know if it's the work side of things. I don't know, you know, you mentioned travel earlier. But what would you say if you had to pick one thing has been the single hardest part of the lockdown for you? Canceling everything. Canceling everything? Yep. Just have to, like, especially canceling the, the, the teaching opportunities, all that kind of stuff. Every time I've had to take something off my, my calendar, that's, that's been a, a huge blow. I, th I think that's definitely the hardest because I, you know, I love to get out there. I love to travel. I love to see people. I love to interact and, uh, having to actively take something off my calendar that I really looked forward to is, is just rough. Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely relate to that. Um, 
to 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 kind of on the other side of that, what are you doing to stay sane or decompress or even have fun in the middle of all this? <laughs> well, at at uh, that assumes house, you are you are staying sane, but I think you are. So uh, that, that's a stretch. I wouldn't assume such <laughs> things. Um, it's definitely been a challenge some days, and uh, uh, you know, especially when I don't even know what day it is. Uh, you know, that's been a huge challenge. That's that's a real struggle. I'll be honest with you. I <laughs> I I did something really awkward on a Thursday where I thought it was a Friday, and it was like a official work email, and somebody was like, you know, I was like, yeah, well, maybe I can do it on Saturday, and like tomorrow, and they were like, you mean tomorrow Friday? And it was just awkward. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Oh my goodness, life is crazy. But in the in the middle of crazy, you know, life continues on. I I, I was um, uh, thinking about some of the worst moments in the history of humanity, and people still found ways to have fun. And you know, you you look at you know dark dark moments, and there's always a light. And so my my moment hasn't been that dark. I mean, life isn't that rough. Uh, for me in quarantine, besides like the oppressive mental health uh, <laughs> weight that's like pouring yeah. down on me all the time. But like, you know, I, I have food, I have electricity, you know, right. all that kind of stuff. Right. But uh, I, I've, I've found ways to, to make the most of it. At, at, at my house, we we do uh, game nights like pretty regularly now where it's just like, hey, guys, you want to you want to play another game? Yes, let's do it. And so nice. we just get together and and uh, uh, play some uh, games, and it's it's been it's been um, <laughs> it's been my my thing that's kept me going. <laughs> cool. <laughs> is that um is is that something that's kind of a new tradition that started since the lockdown, or was that part of your normal pattern already? No, no, we 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 hadn't really played games before uh, as as kind of a as a thing really. Um, so it just was like, okay, I ordered a game. I was like, hey guys, um, I just got this game. And I was really sheepish because I was like, you know, <laughs> maybe nobody wants to play a game or whatever. But I ordered a game and I, I pulled it out and I taught them how to play. And they were like, oh, that's so good. And so we have gone through so many games and we've had a blast. That's In fact, awesome. we just, uh, we just, uh, uh, um, ordered some new, uh, it's like DLC for board games. So, you know, oh, wow. more cool. boxes and more stuff. It's like expansion packs and stuff. Exactly. Expansion nice. packs galore. Earlier, way back at the beginning of this conversation, you talked about the Tolkien fairy tale you'd read. Um, what would you say like the, and in the, I don't care. It, it could be fiction. It could be entertainment. It could even be something in the news you've seen, but what story because uh, I, I believe, you know, and for anyone who's who's not personally familiar with you, but I think that one of the things I like about you is stories matter to you and stories well told matter to you. And uh, and I feel the same way. So what what story or stories have impacted you during this time on a on a deeper level? Oh, now that's that's a hard question. I. Well, I guess one of the like this is going to sound like I'm dodging the question, but it's kind of what just popped into my mind. The story that we're living, you know, uh, being in this this time, being in this crisis and seeing how different people react and uh, seeing people come together and seeing people get angry, you know, all that kind of yeah. stuff. That story is just blowing my mind. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a moment in history that, yeah. oh, I, you know, I've read about these types of moments. Yep. So that that's um, 
something that I think is really impacting and helping, or I don't know if helping me, but it's shaping me in, in ways that I never would have, um, predicted. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's definitely there. I, I, um, have been reading, um, quite a bit of Tolkien. I've read several of, of his books, um, of, of late, um, his, his shorter books. And then I, it, this isn't a story, um, but I, I read a book called The Introduction to the Devout Life oh, wow. by St. Francis de Sales. And, you know, I had never read anything by him. I didn't even know who he was. And I was amazed at the practical wisdom that he had about, you know, dealing with difficult friends and okay. um, staying, staying consistent in prayer and, you know, like just like cool. really very practical. Cause you know, I think of saints and I think of, you know, these people who are, are so heady, they're geniuses and they've got their life figured out and they're just kind of floating through and they don't, they don't have yeah. to, to worry they, about. They kind of glow and hover. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, his, his wisdom and his story and his advice was just so, doggone practical i was like wow this this is this is impacting for me that's really cool that's really cool um i i found it interesting and i i really i like what you're saying about like the kind of thinking of of this moment as as a story itself and you know that 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 i I, i'll give you a pass i don't think that dodges the question i think that's i think that's a good answer um but what yeah yeah of course you know um but It also occurs to me, you know, we've talked about before the historical moments that kind of become the touchstones, the the touch points are like the defining, like, were you alive for this? Do you remember this? And I'm not at all saying the events are are like each other. But I remember that recently we we had the discussion of saying, wow, now officially all the Gen J high school students that we get to work with were born after 9-11, the the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks in our nation. That was kind of, for those of us who were alive and uh, paying attention then, that was like a, a moment that that sealed into our hearts and minds and, and the nation. And I think, you know, again, not I'm not saying that the tragedies are similar, but saying just the, 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 how they'll be remembered as like a, were you alive? Were you born before this? Or were you born after this? I think the coronavirus and the way that's impacted everybody is going to be up there. You know, I think it's going to be you know, maybe that'll be the next thing in 10 years where like none of our Gen J students remember the coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, I, I don't know if every generation has a defining moment, but you know, you, you can compare the millennial and the zoomer by what kind of life experiences they had. Yeah. And the, you know, the millennial will, will remember uh, September 11th. Like that's, that's, yeah. you know, that, that moment of, of terrorism in the United States is, is seminal and, and impacting and world changing in a very tangible way. Yeah. And I think the coronavirus, uh, story that we're living through right now, it's, it, it is something that almost nobody alive can say they've experienced something like it. Right. Right. But now we're all experiencing it together. 
and people reacting to it differently but we're all we're all living it in in some way and so that's going to be a common shared experience that is going to um be be something that we'll always be able to point back to and compare things to oh when i was in quarantine when i when i was (laughs) stuck at home for two months yeah what did you do i i i I pulled out uh, um uh dry erase markers and i i put um tally marks on my front door on my screen door and i you know i i I, you know just like little things that you do to just stay a little sane people (laughs) yeah no it's i totally i totally agree and i think that people are gonna like you know, it's going to it's going to be such a touchstone that like I'm I'm already envisioning there's going to be like the dark humor memes that are like, you know, somebody's busy with finals and they're like, can we have another lockdown? Because I could really use some time to study, you know, like those things are going to come out and it's going to become a reference. Like it's going to become something that's like, you know, this this happened in a way that we it's like like it, it it's Christmas is way more fun than the coronavirus, but it's like, it's like Christmas where it's like, everybody knows what that's like. You know, it's like, what did, what did you do for Christmas? I, well, I did this and and you do the same thing with the, with the lockdown. Um, the other thing, and I'd be curious to see what you think about this. Do you think people are going to care more about their governors after this? Cause like, I think some people care a lot about governors and some people are like, eh, I have a governor. But this is like, I feel like every governor in all the 50 states right now is like kind of in the spotlight way more than they were before. Yeah. And one of the things that I continually think, and whenever somebody asks, I'm happy to say, one of the things that we need to remember is that who is in office matters. They make decisions. And those decisions may not impact you, obviously, they may not impact you in big ways, but they're impacting people. And one thing that we're seeing with the moment we're in right now is that decisions are impacting everyone. Yeah. And the, the character and wisdom of a governor is going to be measured. And, you know, obviously the history books have yet to be written. We don't know right. what kind of the context of, of knowledge is going to give us in, sure. in a few years or even a few months. Um, but I, I think that each of these governors is going to be um, looked at, examined, and remembered on election day. And what they did and the, and the wisdom they, they carried is going to determine whether or not they're going to be um, returning to the governor's mansion in their state. I, I 100% agree with that. And I think that it's interesting because, like— most of the time, like like as a statistic, I don't know what the statistic is, but I know it's 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 a large statistic of like the people in a state who just kind of aren't phased or don't really bump into direct action from their governor while he's in office. Like, you know, everybody he's signing. Sure. He's signing the bills that make it through the legislature. He's making policies and executive orders. Um, he might even be making some policies that like affect like affect certain groups like, you know, gun owners or homeschoolers or pro-lifers or, you know, wh- whatever it might be. And those different groups might might feel the the impact of their governor. But like for the good or the bad, everybody has felt like a direct impact on their life from their governor in the recent weeks. So I, I'm, I'm very curious to see what that's going to turn into. Yeah, who kn- you know, obviously the history books are yet to be written, but I, you know, that governors are going to be remembered. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, 
Well, hey, I think this has been a really fun conversation. I appreciate you taking the time and, and being willing to dive deep and let me ask you all of the uh, all of the the lighthearted questions, but also some some really you know kind of fairly deep questions. Um, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, kind of on purpose, but, but, you know, you didn't get a ton of time to like prep answers for this or something. So I appreciate you, uh, sharing with, with the podcast audience. Um, and I want to give you a chance before we completely sign off. Is there anything you'd like to say to the Gen J podcast community as we wrap up? Wow. Uh, so what would I say to the Gen J podcast community? Spread the word, get the word out about this podcast. <laughs> what Daniel's doing is great. It's, it's a great opportunity for us to keep uh, in touch and to uh, get word out to you guys. And also let us know what you would like to hear in future podcast episodes. I, I didn't really have a chance to prepare and I, I, I think it resulted in some really interesting answers. Like I, I hadn't um, told uh, some of these stories to a Gen J audience, I think ever. So I hadn't, I heck, <laughs> I hadn't heard some of these stories before. I, I was, I was, I was loving it. This has been awesome. It's been great. Thanks, thanks for doing this. Hey, and and each you. of you, while while you're out there, I mean, think about how you can make your community a better place. Think about how you can apply some of these ideas. Think about how you can. Um, talk about important things t with people in a way that w they will be able to hear and be impacted and, and grow. Well, that sounds uh, like a fabulous place to end. Thanks again, Jeremiah. Thank you, Daniel. Stay Pleasure. sane, stay safe, all that good stuff. You too. Good to, right. good to talk to you. Hey friends, if you enjoyed today's episode of the Gen J Podcast, go ahead and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, most of the other major podcast sites and apps. Uh, if you really liked the show, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a review, uh, hopefully a good review to help other people find it. Uh, this is really helpful when we're starting out with a new show to help people connect with the podcasts who are already listening to similar podcasts. We would love to stay in touch with you, so shoot us an email at info at generationjoshua.org or follow us at Generation Joshua on Instagram and Facebook. We will be back soon with another episode.